you got a daughter, Jake, what would you do? I figure there's a lot of people out there tired of all the raping, killing. They'd be sympathetic to a man who took the law in his own hand. Even if he is black. Our society cannot condone men who take the law into their own hands, no matter what the circumstance. How do you wish to plead? Not guilty, Your Honor. Yeah, you sure you want to be known as the man that defended that murderer? Why well, toss away a promising career? I'd really like to help you with the trial. You ever seen a man executed? What I suggest you do is you go watch a man be executed. You watch him die, you watch him beg. I don't like your politics, but you do have passion, and that's something Carl Lee needs right now, and maybe so do I. If you was on that jury, what would it take to set me free? You sat me down, and you said to me, what I can offer you is a chance to save the world one case at a time. He's taking justice out of your hands put it in his own. You tell them boys we need some clan down here in camp. We've been getting calls at home. Threats. Your marriage is on the rocks. You're about to have an affair. Lately, you've become much more interested in getting your face on the news than what's going on with your own family. Don't let those bastards grind you down. I set out to prove a black man could receive a fair trial. That's not the truth. So until that day, we have a duty to seek the truth, not with our mind, but with our hearts. Do you think he was crazy when he did it? No, he wasn't crazy. When I saw that blood, I got so scared because I thought that was you. Drop the case. I quit now and all this for nothing. No. You waited all our lives on this. You think the jury should convict Carl Lee Haley? Objection! Turn him loose! Do you think they deserve to die, Mr. Your Haley? Honor. Answer the question. Carl, Do they don't deserve to question. die? Yes, they deserve to die, and I hope they burn in hell! I head into the theater, and the usher nods me in. They know me here. I descend down the staircase behind the movie screen that only select people know about. The door at the bottom opens and I walk in. The sound of movie spoilers fill the air. The barkeep has my drink ready and motions me to the back. The rest of the crew are here already. This is my type of place and these are my type of people. Join me as we discuss the inner secrets of cinema. Have a seat in the spoiler room. Not exactly good, but it's wild. Just like our show. Hello, everyone. <laughs> and welcome that was, to the That was a quick transition. Room. That was a quick transition, <laughs> though. No, this this show, I, I love doing this show, and I love doing Killing It Month, which is what we're doing it. We're killing it tonight. With another film with the word kill in the title. This one is a star-studded film that uh, has pretty much all of Hollywood starring in it. (laughs) And we are looking at A Time to Kill from 1996. And tonight I have a star-studded cast with me of crew members who have braved this courtroom drama with me. And first off, she's back with us from the horror retrospective. It's Cara. Hello, Cara. How are you? Hello. Always glad to be back. 
Always happy to have you here. And and none other, my right-hand man, the guy who just he just keeps coming back for more. He's like a glutton for punishment or something. It's another, the Mr. Ian Simmons from Kicking the Seat. Hello, Ian. Hey, how's it going? Oh, it's going well. It's going well. So glad everyone could venture down the stairs, pull up a chair, and pop their favorite drink as we talk movie spoilers, which we will tonight. And, ah, Ian. You, you get to do the synopsis tonight for A Time to Kill. <sighs> uh, it's based on a John Grisham novel. A um, couple of rednecks uh, in Mississippi? Where is this? Louisiana. Louisiana. No, it is Miss- no, it's Mississippi. It's Canton, Mississippi. That's right. Canton, Mississippi. Way down south. Um they're driving around, drunk, tearing up the town. They um, come across this little black girl. They kidnap her. They do awful, despicable things to her. Um, Samuel L. Jackson plays the young girl's father, who uh, takes it upon himself to execute them in a courthouse with a machine gun as they're being brought into trial. Uh, and then he is put on trial for their murder. And Matthew McConaughey plays uh, the the white local attorney who defends him and uh, against not only the, the murder charges, but against the prejudices of this town who, uh, you know, helps to resurrect, import and resurrect the clan. The um, and there's fire bombings, riots, burnt crosses, uh, an entire melee of problems surrounding this trial. And uh, it's about, you know, mid 90s social justice and um you know empathy and and all that good stuff it's also more of a cartoon that i remember it being back in 1996 um but uh yeah it really works and i had to blow my wife's mind by saying by asking her hey honey what do you think the next movie that the director of this film directed what was it i don't know batman and robin yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. I, that's, I, the, that's the synopsis. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's interesting because I really, outside of Batman and Robin, I actually enjoy a lot of Sh- Joel Schumacher's work in various degrees. Um, you know, but the key for Sutherland's going to show up, you know, he is so, uh, <laughs> but I usually enjoy, enjoy his films except for Batman and Robin though. Uh, yeah. Batman forever is worse. Uh, but still, yes, it's from that director though that you won't see on the poster ever. Luckily this came out before Batman and Robin, so they wouldn't promote But after Batman forever. It did. And they didn't have from the director of Batman forever, <laughs> a time to kill. <laughs> That doesn't work. It doesn't, especially given the subject matter. Whoo, boy, howdy. Kara, uh, we'll start with you. Remember when you first saw this film? Um, I saw it in theater when it was first out. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, it was because a librarian friend of mine had told me about the movie and said it was originally a book. So I read the book first. So... I liked how it's pretty close to the book. There, there are a few little yeah. differences here and there, and 
Um, I remember back then at the time, the, the local newspaper even read uh, Uvalde's own Matthew McConaughey, which I had no idea who he was at the time. So <laughs> I didn't know why it was a big deal. Well, all right, all right, all right. Anyways, yeah, this was his first, like, breakout. I know yeah, he was, was in Dazed and Confused a couple yeah. of years earlier, but this was like, and it's such a meteoric rise because he was like this nothing, like, town towny extra dirtbag in that movie and then he's like all polished and slick looking and like ready for the cover of gq magazine in this one well he were, he he looked a lot like his lincoln lawyer character later on <laughs> that he would end up with in fact I, I when i first saw him i'm like is he playing the same guy <laughs> because <laughs> because he almost the exact same suit and everything and you know he doesn't age i don't understand that he looks he looks like the same I don't, I don't get that. A um, little more haggard now, but back then, you know, when it was like, what? That, that's Matthew McConaughey? But, yeah. Uh, what about you, Ian? Do you remember when you first saw this? And, and... Yeah, the, the one and only time I saw it was in the theater back in 96 sure. when it first came out. And I, was, I remember being pretty blown away by it. Mm -hmm. And then watching it last night or mm -hmm. two nights ago for the show, um, I just wondered why I was such an idiot. Uh, <laughs> like the opening of this movie is the most ridiculous, like box checking of redneck tropes that I've ever seen. And it's like they they went for ten tropes when they should have stopped at like seven. Um, but I mean, it's it's a solid movie. But there's just like some points where I'm like, yeah, it's Akiva Goldsman. Like he's kind of trash. The, screen, the screenwriter. Yeah. Go ahead, Kara. What do you say? Oh, no, I was just laughing. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, this was this was when Grisham had his run of movies. Yeah. It was it was like someone like, oh, strike while the iron is hot because you had Mr. Cruz in the firm. And then the next year was Pelican Brief. And then after that was The Client. All three of those films were actually very solid. And uh, actually, we reviewed one of those on the Spoiler Room. Check it out, folks, on the Spoiler Room uh, archives. Anyway, um, and then you get A Time to Kill. And what surprised me about Time to Kill, when I saw it, I enjoyed it, but it's because of the cast. And I was, I was what, 21 at the time? Yeah, I would have been 21 at the time. So, But I really enjoyed the cast in this quite a bit, which is why I went to see it. I didn't read Grisham's books because, you know, I was done with college, well, uh, high school, and I was in college. And if I didn't have to read for a class, I really didn't want to read because I was tired of reading. But <laughs> so I wasn't familiar with the book, but I, I enjoyed I enjoyed the movie quite a bit. I remember uh, mostly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Sam Jackson, you know, uh, from. Uh, Pulp Fiction. So he was. It was like every hot, every person who was either just the hot item or just coming up as the hot item was thrown into this movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there, there's character actors out the wazoo. I mean, Charles S. Dutton plays. Um, he's like the, the sheriff, court, yeah. head court officer or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I guess he would have been he's the, the sheriff. sheriff. Yeah. Um, you know, Chris Cooper. Uh, I got to pull over a second yeah. um, and just one of the great things about this movie is you watch it and you realize that Samuel L. Jackson used to be an actor before <laughs> he was body swapped with whatever the fuck showed up in the Marvels. 
Um, yeah, it's a it's a great performance. And everyone got a little taste of what Ian's special is going to be like when he has the <laughs> features the Marvels on his live stream uh, this week, Thursday. Uh, but there's a little hint. But no, I mean, Sam, everybody, that's the thing is everybody's really acting. They're putting their all into this. You could tell. I mean, you got you got Sandra Bullock in here. You know, I, I thought she played off well against uh, Matthew McConaughey. Um you're right. Even the mi- like even minor minor characters sh- that show up in this, you're just like, I know that character. I know that you know Oliver Pratt. You know he was he was like the leading supporting actor for a long time. <laughs> well, that was that's another great thing is like you can watch this and it's full of like movie duos. Yeah, like Oliver Platt. And Kiefer Sutherland, Kiefer Sutherland were in Flatliners, directed mm-hmm. by Joel Schumacher. You've got Kevin Spacey playing the prosecuting attorney with Chris Cooper. They were in American Beauty together. Chris Cooper and Matthew McConaughey, I think it was the same year, were in Lone Star by John yeah. Sales. It's this crazy, <laughs> like, it's not just that everybody in Hollywood was in this movie. It's like everyone in Hollywood would go on to, like, make movies with each other, like, almost based on this film. <laughs> Well, the 90s were like that. The 90s were almost like, you know, the old studio system. You had these group of performers. And we talked about it before when we were doing the fight. We were doing the uh, uh, 52 Degrees of Kevin Bacon. Uh, We talked about that with films like in the 90s to where it seemed like this group of individuals were always working together. I mean, that's where you got the the Brat Pack idea from or whatnot. You know, it's just... It, they always seem to be in those same films for a while. It's like, who cares what it, what else? These guys are going to be in this movie, and in this movie, and in this movie. You know, Donald Sutherland showing up. I forgot Donald Sutherland was in this as a drunk lawyer, you know. Um, and then uh, who who played the doctor who ended up was being discredited. Uh, he showed up in here as well. He, You know, he's a character actor. I mean, Chris, yeah, you're right, Chris Cooper, Wait. I mean... Uh, no, no, Mark, Mark, you got to pay your due respects. That's M. Emmett Walsh. M. Emmett Walsh, thank you, thank you. That's Emmett. You know, he shows he's, up in here. He, well, he's one half of, uh, I think I've mentioned this before, but Roger Ebert had one of his movie rules was the M. Emmett Walsh, Harry Dean Stanton rule, which is if either <laughs> of those actors showed up in the movie, it instantly made the movie better. Better. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean... As it goes, as far as courtroom dramas go, it it's, I don't know, it's pretty by the numbers. <laughs> it is up until that last, uh, you know, McConaughey's closing argument. Yeah. I think that's still one of the most, I mean, even though I had seen it, you know, decades ago, mm-hmm. I sometimes still think about that. Like the way mm-hmm. that he convinced, the way he swayed the jury and the reason he did it um is you know because of that scene that he had shared with sam jackson earlier in the jail cell like the night before and even sam jackson's character when he saw what mcconaughey did in that moment he was like oh my god (laughs) it's such a great great moment yeah oh yeah i mean the film ends solid you're right you do have caricatures in here i mean cara could Kiefer sutherland be any more of the stereotypical prejudiced redneck 
I mean, I'm sure he could have probably gone further with it, but he was dirtbaggy enough. <laughs> yeah, Emily. Well, and then Foreman's dad shows up as as the king, the dragon, the grand dragon of the Ku Klux. I'm looking at this going, dumbass. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought the same thing when I saw him. I'm like, that's red. That's red. What the? F-? I'm like, wearing wearing, wearing red. red. And turning red later on when he gets set ablaze. <laughs> Knights in red satin. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, it is. It is mid nineties here, folks. So, I mean, if you think you, you, that's why I chuckle. I chuckle when people talk about oh, all these woke films and these these wearing the politics. I'm like, did you watch the movies of the nineties? I mean. It was just as it was just as much out its sleeve back then too. I mean, uh, it's different. That the nineties politics are different than woke politics. There's there's well, a difference between nineties well, liberal movies and, and what's coming out today. What, that's but that's a whole other show. I know that's a whole other show. What I'm saying though is people are acting like, you know, a, a trend or, or whatnot of, of like this is something like, oh, and I'm like, no, this Hollywood's been doing this for years, whether or not, you know, it's the 90s with its politics or, or our politics today, it's it's there. Now, again, Carl, you said you read the book. Uh, you said it's pretty close to the book? It, it's pretty close. Some things mm-hmm. here and there are different, but from what I remember, it it follows it fairly closely. So, so are the rednecks that redneck in the book? <laughs> I'd say so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I... I... That's the tough part is I'm like, while I have seen people like that, they, they do exist. I have seen them in real life. Uh, to see them just pop up right away in the movie, I, I, I forgot how this movie opened at first with them. At first, and I'm just like, wow, those guys are like, like you said, Ian, they check every box in the book for, for your your stereotypical redneck. But again, there are people like that out there. So, I mean, they weren't saying everybody was like that. That they kind of were. Mm. I mean, you've got, it's very clear that they are. That's what, that's the thing that one of the things that bothered me about this movie Mm -hmm. is I needed to know more about the dynamics of this area because when these two guys are, drunk off their ass tearing down you know tearing through this town like the quote-unquote black part of town in their pickup with the confederate flag decal and all this other stuff they're basically terrorizing people I'm like wait this isn't taking place in the the late 50s this is the mid 90s um i don't know what the dynamics are of this community mm-hmm. because you got a bunch of tough looking like prototypical gangbanger types that are just like watching as these guys are coming no like it's clear because later on they say that you know the clan hasn't operated in this county in like decades right so it's not like a situation where you're looking at like mississippi burning where the entire town is you know clan and all that stuff and you got these outsiders coming in it's it's not really a mixed community because you get the feeling of this black part of town over is is very kind of rural and set apart right. but i have no sense of what the overall like community is they come together in this town square. I'm like, where is this town in relation to everything else? So it just didn't make sense to me that nobody, like you're talking about two redneck guys 
and a group of like 50 other like black town folks of all various ages, including some strapping young, like 20 somethings who could and probably would have taken them behind the nearest shed and beaten the crap out of them, if not worse. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what are you doing? So I didn't understand like the, the situation or the politics of this movie. It made no sense to me. What about you, Kara? Um, I mean, to me, it, it, it just seems very small town. Like everybody knows everyone. They kind of hard to keep a secret, you know, everything about everyone, but I didn't really get, and it's probably just because I'm from a small town myself, but I didn't really get a sense of things being too, too far out. Like as far as, um, neighborhoods or areas that people live in. I mean, Mm -hmm. I got the sense that the black community lived more out in the country. So I do agree with that, but um, we see a restaurant scene where we have a whole, you know, black restaurant. So I, I but do that's, feel but that that's in town. That's in that town. In town. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's also in a, a distinct part of town. They call it the black part of town. Mm. But you're right. The geography of this opening scene is out in the country. You can see it in the roads. They're not, mm-hmm. they're not like, there aren't established buildings anywhere. So I, it could have almost been an entirely different movie about like these two guys go missing and like, you got to figure out what happened. It turns out, well, they were starting up some shit in the wrong part of, you know, the country and they got a little Southern justice. Um, but um, yeah, I'm just, I'm watching. I, I don't understand what I'm watching except as a contrived setup for a movie. And I'm just like looking at John Grisham or, you know, I haven't read the novel, but, it just felt like someone who has an idea of what the South was like and kind of wrote to that rather than drawing like well-defined characters, some of whom we see later in the film with a bit more nuance. But I'm like, this need another draft. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he out of the movies that were made of his, this seems like it was the most out of his comfort zone as far as the way it was written. You know, I mean, you look at those other three that I mentioned earlier, you had the client, the Pelican brief, you had the, uh, you know, the, the, um, uh, uh, the Tom Cruise one. Um, <laughs> I forget. I just had it in front of me. The too. firm, the firm. Thank you. I, yeah. You know, all of those were in the urban area. They were, they were mostly in court type, you know, lead, they were handled more. You're right. This one feels more like he was reading newspapers rather than knowing exactly how things were down there. And I might be wrong. I don't know, Kara, if you know more about with Grisham and this story, you know, how what motivated him to write this. But for me, it just felt a little bit out of his comfort zone, like he was he was writing stuff that he had read off of a Cliff's Notes of the South. Um, but I don't know, uh, you know, it just, you're right. There's a, there's a lot of the caricatures in here. Like, I mean, there's really no gray area with any character in here whatsoever. Except for the one guy who is Mickey Mouse, who is the, the yeah. one kind of clan guy who he seemed, and that was, I think the the most nuanced character you really get because mm-hmm. there isn't like a big speech or anything. You just kind of get this sense that his buddies that he hangs around with, they're all kind of prejudiced in their small town way. But wait a second, you're resurrecting the clan and, and now we're kidnapping people? This has gone too yeah. far. 
Yeah. Well, remember the clan. The clan never left. We just didn't do anything for a few years, and they think we don't exist anymore. But we're still in full force. <clears throat> yeah. It's not in this area. You have to recruit your own. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With your flyers and your your poorly printed uh, items. Uh, <laughs> I went to a I went to a clan rally slash protest. I want to emphasize the protest part. Yes. Uh, when I was in high school, they they did something out in like like the Naperville area here mm-hmm. in Illinois, and but they were the new clan. They didn't have the hoods and all that stuff. They mm-hmm. just had like these white outfits. They looked like gas station attendants with like weird patches on them. It was so much fun to shout them down. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Oh. Well, was it they they made that. Oh, they make that line in here too. They talk about, oh, we got to get the clan. Well, there's some new clan there. Oh, you mean those guys with no hair? No, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about real clan. (laughs) (laughs) I did like that. I'm like, oh, damn. (laughs) It sounds like a bad Southern cologne, (laughs) real clan. The real clan. (laughs) Well, and then, you know, he. What's funny is is you can feel like he's he's trying to play like both sides are taking are exploiting the situation for their own advantage. It just does it very clumsily. Like you have the NAACP show up because they don't think McConaughey should uh, defend. Um, uh, it was the, the ACLU. Or, sorry, the ACLU. I apologize. Not the uh, NAACP, but the ACLU show up um, because they didn't think that uh, Jake, Matthew McConaughey's character, should be uh, uh, defending Carl Lee, Sam Jackson's character. So you get that. Uh, actually, it's one of the better scenes, I think, in the film. Oh, yeah. Is when he comes in and he finds uh, the ACLU with the Reverend and and their top-notch New York lawyer in there saying, oh, no, he's going to take the, you know, over. So, Ian, did you like this scene in the film? It was brilliant. I think this is what makes, this is why watching A Time to Kill Now is so frustrating, because mm-hmm. you've got these kinds of scenes with this brilliant little game of chess about how the NAACP, the no, ACLU, the ACLU thank you, yeah. the ACLU, has so far raised $5,000 and the reverend has collected $2,000 in the plate. And McConaughey says, you know, well, the ACLU certainly has to know that if I'm defending this client and the ACLU is raising funds for the defense, that money has to go to me unless my client (laughs) says that he wants you to represent him and he doesn't. And then... I think Sam Jackson says to the minister, he's like, you know, it's going to look really bad if, if we go around telling people that all the money they put in for to support my family was going, you know, if you're pocketing it. So <laughs> I want that check, too. Yeah, that it's a great moment, mm-hmm. which makes me wonder what the hell is up with that opening 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the The opening 10 minutes play, I mean... Which is what surprises me. You know, it, it's one of those things where I understand Grisham. I understand Grisham was the hot item at this point in time in the mid '90s. His books, like we mentioned, his first, the the other three movies that were based off of his books were just, you know, fantastic. You had Sandra Bullock in there who shows up. You know, in, in here you got all the hot. Everybody wanted in on a Grisham story, 
But the story that they pick has probably one of the darkest subjects for a wide-release film <laughs> that I, I have seen. I mean, we're not talking just childhood peril. We're talking some f- very nasty things that at least we don't, thank God, get a whole lot of, but it, we get the implication and, and they, they let your, you know, it's not until the very end where we find out everything that actually happened to her. But I'm like watching this going, man, for a theatrical film, this thing is dark yeah yeah you know i'm like who are they marketing this to because i mean we all know i mean cara you're you're a horror fan and whatnot i mean but it's you know there's some things that it's not going to appeal to a wide audience it's almost like saying hey we're going to wide release the serbian film right (laughs) (laughs) oh people loved that one (laughs) <laughs> but would you say this subject matter is fairly dark for a wide release movie? It is, and I'll, I'll be honest, I kind of didn't stick around for the beginning of the film just because I didn't want to see that. Yeah. So, I mean, I kind of came back after, a little while after the little girl was um, crying for her father. Right. Yeah. And and that's the thing is is... The way it all played, I think it could have been handled better. Um, they and still get their point across than what they do with this opening because this opening, so many caricatures, and then it just carries through from there. Through a lot of the film, the the court stuff is actually pretty interesting. Um, you know, and I liked I liked Sandra Bullock's character. In this, in all honesty, I, I outside of the fact of that, of course, we've got Matthew McConaughey, all right, all right, all right, and Sandra Bullock, <laughs> two rather attractive performers who are working close together, and you know we have that immediate that sexual tension, and I'm like that feels out of character for. <clears throat> for for Jake for Matthew McConaughey you know he was so big on 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 the family and that and I understand they go through some traumatic events together in the beginning but still it just that seemed a little forced of the tension between them am I off on that or uh, I wouldn't say it's <clears throat> forced I'd say it's underdeveloped mm. because they got into a real like work wife situation mm-hmm. they're spending a lot of time together he was completely like stressed out with not only the case but all the personal stuff as, as you mentioned his wife took the kids and and moved away or the daughter mm-hmm. uh pet cemetery style <laughs> that came to mind <laughs> yeah it did it did it did <laughs> when, right when he was looking yeah. Right when he when he was looking for his dog in the in the rubble of his blown up house, yeah. and then the dog comes back. I was like, "No!" <laughs> running, dog comes running out of the woods. I'm like, "Don't do it." <laughs> um, but no. So yeah, I I like that they go right up to the precipice and mm-hmm. then they pull back. But I mean, it's you talk about a tough decision. You're talking about like 1996 Sandra Bullock and 1996 sweaty like just walking around and whatever that was ashley judd yeah yeah i don't put me in that position (laughs) (laughs) what was it too i know it's the south 
Kara, don't hope you don't mind me putting you on the spot a little bit. I don't, you're you're in the south. It, does no one own a fan or air conditioning? <laughs> because everybody was sweaty in this movie, like constantly. Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on the family, I guess. Some people don't have central air, so they do depend on those those sure. box fans. It just it just seemed like everybody, even if they were in a, a temperature controlled room. They were still sweaty. It was like everybody was sweaty. I'm like, what? yeah, you know, Ashley Judge was Judge sweaty and, and McConaughey's sweaty. And, you know, even the, the supporting cast was sweaty. It was like every, I, I, you know, special effects guy, he must have had a lot of spray bottles. You know, it, it's like, okay, between <laughs> takes. Okay, okay, let's go. Um, <laughs> he was probably doing that. Without the spray bottles in between takes, yeah, with, just, you know, being with Ashley yeah, Judd and Sandra that, Bullock, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. yeah and Emma at Walsh, let's be and, honest. And Emmett Walsh, he's looking, <laughs> he was looking pretty good when he wasn't drunk, when his character wasn't drunk. But, um, <laughs> but even that was a great moment um, because his uh, he was the he was basically the shrink that they brought in to testify about Sam Jackson's uh, Carly's uh, mental state when he committed right. these murders. And he, Kevin Spacey's character immediately uh, discredits him by bringing up a statutory rape uh, conviction from like the '60s, right? And it's like, wow, that really does—you know—that's a poor, mm-hmm. <laughs> poor decision on McConaughey's part. But then later on, I think it was during the closing arguments, right? He says, "Well, what if I told you that this man was commit convinced uh, she was only she was statutory yeah. raped 17 and he was like 21 or something mm-hmm. and they've been married for the last 40 years yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> and, and that's honestly i think why because you see it on the stand you're like what's going on here right because he's he almost i think forgotten about it yeah like oh that was that crazy thing that happened when we were kids and now yeah. i'm like in my 60s what are we talking about oh shit that's right <laughs> right. Well, after the, and, and that's just because before that, when the def, when the prosecution brought up their doctor about uh, stating how, uh, you know, Carl Lee was perfectly in sound mind when he did it, they had to discredit him, uh, which was a little help from uh, Sandra Bullock's character, uh, Ellen. Uh, you know, Ellen, she, she happened to sneak into his office and, and get some files. And then we find out that the doctor for the prosecution, uh, he didn't find what anybody, he found everybody sane. He didn't find any of them insane. But then the one person in 85 who he said was sane, the, the verdict was overturned. It went up to going to a mental hospital, and he ended up treating the guy, and he ended up treating him for 10 years. So you're saying, well, if you were saying he was saying, would you need to trade him for 10 years? I like that little twist, too. Like, you know, Yeah, that was great because he was basically a professional doctor who was paid to testify that people were right. you know, of sound mind and body when they weren't. Yeah, there, there's all these like great little touches and we lost Kara. We we did lose Kara. She, hopefully she'll be back. Um yeah, yeah there there's great there, and that's what I mean the courtroom stuff I really enjoy. You know, it was like the stuff outside of that just seemed to be so over exaggerated. 
everything out, you know, down to down to I understand clan intentions and there were stories of clan doing it down to the clan wanting to bomb the lawyer's house <laughs> and I, i'm just like i understand stuff like that kind of happened but like every bad story you've ever heard of the clan doing something they do it in this movie <laughs> it's like a culmination of all bad things that the clan has ever done are done in this film and you know and also, you know, I think Kevin Spacey is is pretty great in this movie, um, you know, as he was in a lot mm -hmm. of movies back in that, especially in that heyday. Mm -hmm. But I just wish that his character hadn't been so sleazy outside the courtroom of like, you know, yeah. well, you know, find out what this guy's favorite scotch is and send it to his house or whatever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I'm reminded of Lane Smith's character in My Cousin Vinny. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, he was the prosecutor on that tr that murder case. Mm -hmm. and what I loved about him is that, you know, he didn't like Vinny. They didn't get along because it was like the whole like big shot, you know, Brooklyn lawyer versus the small town, you know, Southern lawyer. But they were, he was a gentleman about it. He's like, I'm going to win this case. He was confident in his abilities and he played it, you know, straight for the most part. I haven't seen that movie in a long time, but he didn't need to resort to anything mm -hmm. to make a strong case. I think. If I had any other, besides the rednecks, I would have taken out all that stuff about Spacey's character. He can be smarmy. He can be, like, full of himself. But this the underhanded tactics, I'm like, eh, it's just a little bit too on the nose. <laughs> you just need a little mustache to twirl at some point. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, that surprised me, too, because I forgot that part, that aspect with his character. You know, and... and... Jake calls him governor right off the bat because he's a DA who was running for, for governor uh, or going to. It was no secret, you know. And, and you're right, though. The I think it would have meant a little bit more had if they were going to have him be on the sly like that, not show everything that, like, he did. Like, oh, let's send this, you know, maybe a little bit. You, you have it come out in court, like the like the doctor you come mm -hmm. out in court and then you can piece together oh this guy's a doctor for hire by the da to to do this stuff you know have it come out in court more so than the after or outside of court antics you know and it's just like it's just like and and it's horrible don't get me wrong what they do to ellen's character later on in in the movie but at the same time I'm sitting here going, I understand the guys are desperate, but these are the dumbest rednecks. This uh, Because, uh, I mean, I understand they didn't expect her to get help and escape, but still, Kiefer Sutherland's character shows his, his face. So many people are showing their face to her when they kidnap her that I'm just like, you better hope she doesn't like get away because she could immediately identify you guys. Well, they don't though, and my yeah. wife, uh, she talked to me about this too. Mm -hmm. She's like, "Why, you know, why aren't they even wearing masks or whatever?" Well, it's dark. They True. catch her from behind. The only person that she maybe sees is a cop, right? And then she's like, "But what about the guy with the long hair?" I'm like, "Yeah, how ever are you going to identify <laughs> a guy in the South with long hair and a beard?" Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and then Sutherland, when he goes up to her, when she's all tied up, he comes at her from behind. He's That's like true. whispering in her ear. Um, and I don't know that they'd really interacted, so she wouldn't necessarily know, know that, oh, that's the guy that I was standing next to in court that whole time. Yeah, I, I understand the point, but I think that's kind of kind of what Grisham slash Schumacher slash Akiva Goldsman was getting at with this um, was that they were so confident in what they mm-hmm. could get away with that they could show their faces in court the next day. Sure. Um, yeah. That, that, but that was... I had forgotten about that scene. I'm like, Me how too. the hell is she gonna get it get mm-hmm. out of this? And like, oh, it's it's Mickey Mouse to the rescue. And I thought that was <laughs> it was oddly sweet, you know. Yeah, it it was sweet, and and it, you know, you you have at least a little bit of sympathy for the Mickey Mouse guy. You almost feel like he's in this because of peer pressure and such, because the Southerdies are his buddies, and they 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 pressure him into the clan because he's the one that gives a warning to uh uh McConaughey's family oh yeah get out of the house to get yeah. out of the house before the cro- first cross is burnt on his lawn um which again i understand it's the south but you would have thought they would have put a patrol car in front of his his house given the trial and, and given the fact that you have the Klan and protesters clashing on the first day of the trial, you know, you, you would have thought, but nope, they didn't, you know, that, I mean, that would have been another nice old character detail because they find out, you know, well, we know very early on, but it comes out at the end of the movie that one of the sheriff's deputies or whatever is working with the Klan. Right. So if they had said, Oh, you know, Maybe if they said, oh, this guy is supposed to be the one in the patrol car, like keeping mm-hmm. an eye on their house. Maybe that's how they know when they're coming and going. When right. All this stuff. But they don't really do anything with that, except at the very end, he Charles S. Dutton, like shoves him in the, the, the group. of The other guys like, oh, yeah, you're in with them, too. I'm like, how long have you known this? <laughs> <laughs> what? How many people have been like nearly well, blown up and assassinated with you, like figuring this shit out? Well, well, no, he figured it out. I. I I always took that as though because uh, they talked to uh, uh, Ellen in the hospital, and that's how they knew, uh, you know, cause for the cop, why how they knew he was part of it was that they had talked to Ellen, because it had been a day or two while she was in the hospital, so she could have, you know, I, I guess, uh, but. You know, I don't know. Maybe it's just a uh, astonishingly low number of people in this, you know, police department. The numbers seem to, you know, change depending on whether or not you're dealing with like riot control or just like picking up drunk rednecks. Hmm. But yeah, I guess it's just again that's something that could have been made a little bit clear. Yeah, it could have, but it's also, you know, it, it it's the one disadvantage of having so many big names, especially hot item names, and I, I can say hot item names in a film like this because they were the hot items. And I'm not kidding, folks. If you look at the first twelve credits that show up during the opening credit sequence, every single one of them was in multiple films in the nineties. So they oh, were yeah. they were all known names. So they all need their screen time. So in doing so, it, it feels like almost that took a little bit away from it because, oh, nope, this character at least needs a few more lines so we could justify, you know, having them in our movie. <laughs> the two people that I wish didn't have any lines were 
uh, Oliver Platt's character. Yeah. Not his character, but Oliver Platt. Because, I'm sorry, it, and I illustrated this to my wife as we were watching it. There's a scene where he's in the, the office, I think, with yeah. Matthew McConaughey, yeah. and the secretary is in there, too, played by Brenda Fricker, mm -hmm. tremendous actress, who was also the bird lady in Home Alone 2. Um, she's English. I believe. Yeah. Oliver Platt is not. Neither of these two actors are from the South. Matthew McConaughey is. And when you hear the battle of the Southern accents, you're like, what the hell are these people doing? Like you've got Oliver Platt saying, like, I do declare this is going to be a crazy case, isn't it? And then you've got Brenda Fricker like trying to like squash down the the proper Britness and, and also get some of that Southern iced tea in there. I'm like, no, just... <laughs> have a British secretary and have a Bostonite best friend. It, they don't all have to be from the South. <laughs> what would you think of that car with the casting and, and the, the accents used? Um, I like the, I like the cast. And the thing mm. that surprised me is I forgot how everyone, how young everyone was in this movie. Mm, yeah. Yeah. It, it is funny watching how many young, like Oliver, like everybody, you're just like, Oh man. <laughs> Southern Kiefer Sutherland even had a little bit of that baby fat still on him. Yeah, <laughs> he 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 was looking. Yeah, he was still you looking young. I think he looked because this was uh, after Flatliners, was it? Um, yeah, Flatliners was ninety. Was ninety. <laughs> so he he looked younger. In this movie, that he did it Flatliners <laughs> or Lost Boys for that matter. Maybe it's because uh, he was more shaven in this one. I don't know. Um, well, then he and he, he seemed to have aged about 15 years, but in four years, because it was soon after this that he played Jack Bauer in 24. Oh, yeah, he's like yeah. full on adult fed man. Yeah, well, and let's not let's not forget he was also, you know. Uh, uh, the soldier in A Few Good Men. So <laughs> that just... was ninety three. Was I that think. ninety? Was that after this? Or or before this? Yeah. Ooh. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he had many many looks back in the day. He he looked a lot younger in this than he did in in those films for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and then you get like I said, the politics. It it, it really. This film, I was like, how are they going to close it up? And then they close it up strong. Um, and I was happy with the way it ended. You know, I mean, I think we miss sometimes happy endings in movies <laughs> nowadays. <laughs> but, you know, I like the ending because uh, during it, they talked about that there's still the racial divide between. In fact, it's one of the, the great scenes in this film is between McConaughey and Jackson, where Jackson's like, no, nah, I... I hired you because you're white. He's like, I hired you because no matter what you try, you've been programmed like a white person and you don't see me as a person. So you think like them, you don't think like a black man, you know, it's nice, mm -hmm. I guess. But the problem is it's also very racist. Mm -hmm. um, I get the point they're trying to make and there's no way in 96 or in 2023, McConaughey's character is going to be allowed to turn that around on him and say, well, yeah, what do you think about white people? <laughs> <You know? laughs> the door doesn't just swing yeah. one way, buddy. <laughs> yeah, there, there is that. But 
I mean, it, it was a great acting moment. I I understand though what you're saying. I, I I thought there was a good moment between those two though, but and then they t- they even play know that their their kids wouldn't play at the end of it, and then at the end, the kids are playing together. So, <laughs> oh, see, ah, see, you know, it, it's you know even if it, even if the dads are just kind of like yeah yeah the kids don't care you know and I like that I, I don't know I like that ending. I, it's a great ending, but there, there's a part of me that I was just waiting for, you know, McConaughey and Ashley Judd, they pull up with their kid in the car, and there's, like, the whole big, like, Sam Jackson's having the big, like, family yeah. barbecue, and every, all the black people in the movie are there, like, even Charles S. Dutton, like, <laughs> they're all there, because they all know each other, that's, you know, eh, wow, but I was just waiting for, for the McConaughey's to pull up or whatever. And like, hey, we're here for the barbecue, and Sam Jackson to just pull out the M motherfucker and just like, Tom, get off my property. <laughs> you don't belong here. <laughs> that would be a twist, uh, for yeah. sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but I mean, well, <coughs> excuse me. You, I mean, you do get. That's one thing I like is though, that they aren't exactly buddy buddy at the end. I mean, they're they're. You know, I, I did like that angle that that and I, I think that's why they set up that scene earlier with Jackson telling his reasoning exactly of why he actually picked Jake, you know, and then they get to the end. So they're not exactly like hugging and like, oh, yeah, we won the case. Oh, you're great. You're my, you know, we're like brothers now. And we're we're like, you know, they're not like that. They're both kind of. It's not like a fist bump. There's not like a frame. Fr- <laughs> it's like, there's no Dylan, you son of a bitch. You know, there's no, there's no moment like that. They just kind of sit there and acknowledge, you know, and where the kids, you know, and, and that whole message. And I liked that message, too. Um, yeah, it is it is very corny, that whole, like, I believe children are the future. But this has, like, that perfect illustration of it. When the, mm-hmm. the, the daughters just go, like, introduce themselves to each other. It's so, like, touching. It's perfect. Well, well and I... Being a parent myself, I've seen that to where you see a playground, the kids are just playing. You know, they don't fucking care what you think. It's like, oh, you've got a ball, I got a ball. Hey, let's play. You know, you know, that's kids. The parents are on the side, like, but the kids are like, I don't care. I, I, I'm looking for someone to play with, and you're here, so let's go play. That's going to sound corny, but I just, I, a little before I came to record this, I, took my oldest son to taekwondo Mm -hmm. i was watching for an hour and i was getting that like cheesy parental Mm misty-eyedness when you're just watching like a class of like i don't know 15 kids and they're all different different ages different backgrounds different ethnicities different races and all just like coming together for a common goal of like bettering themselves and working together and like having that feeling like we're gonna be okay and then thinking, no, something's going to come along to like corrupt them and, and turn them <laughs> against each other. Uh, this this terrible society that we have. <laughs> I have to hold on to this dream just yeah. one more day, just, just one more day. Hold please. on to that seed. Yeah, you know, I believe the children are our future. You teach them well and let them lead the way. Show them all the beauty they possess inside. Give them yeah. a self of, sense, sense of, of pride, pride. Yeah. to make yeah. it easier. Let the children 
<laughs> laughter remind, remind us, us how, how it how... used to be. Yes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Because I decided long ago. Sorry. Hey, no, hey you're already straying into copyright. I, I, uh, I am. Sure. I am. Uh, yeah, I'm going to sing like her. That's the way the copyright match. If it is, they really have something wrong with their algorithm. Cara, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of this ending with, with the film, with all the stuff that goes on, all the caricature stuff and the good and the bad? What did you think of the way the film ended? I, I liked it. I think it was well done. Um, mm -hmm. you, you also, or at least me, I kind of felt some sense of camaraderie between the two mothers because mm -hmm. the the wife, she does walk over and she introduces the two little girls. Right. You know, and, and she brought Peach Cobbler and she, you know, the, the, the wives bonded over bakery, I guess, or something. I don't know. Grisham <laughs> trying to write female characters. I don't know. Recipe swapping. Uh, recipe swapping. <laughs> At least Ashley Judd didn't come up and say, sorry, I don't speak jive. <laughs> oh, gosh. And then you have Barbara Billingsley come up and go, it's okay. I speak jive. <laughs> oh, God. I just dated myself. Yes, folks, that was an airplane reference. Go look it up. I'm surprised uh... those guys weren't at the barbecue, you know, like everybody. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah, a time to kill. Um Car, would you say a decent courtroom drama, or or does it have its does it have its warts? <laughs> I, I think it's good. Mm -hmm. um, you know, all maybe stereotypes and cliches aside, I think it's a good story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. It, it's an interesting story, and I think there's a excuse me, and I think it's because of the talent. We have enough moments in this film that I think with lesser talented, even in the small roles, I think this film doesn't get across quite as well as it does, but it's the fact they have just so much talent packed into this film, they make the most of these scenes to where even the more cartoony, as Ian put it earlier, the more cartoonish type uh, scenes you get through because people are just performing so well in this, you know, in, in their roles. Uh, you know, and, and that's how I feel with the end of this film too, is that I'm like, okay, this, you know, the way it came out and everything was, was definitely mid nineties, but I loved seeing everybody, all these actors on screen together. You know, this is one of those where the, I think the ensemble works. What do you think, Ian? Oh, totally. I mean, mm -hmm. <clears throat> it's not just like, Hey, it's all the hot actors in the nineties. It's, it's all like the, the great, or a lot of the great character actors mm -hmm. and even the big stars putting in like demonstrating their acting chops and not in a corny like oh this is going to get me the oscar but like they it was almost like they came together to do a really cool like play you know <laughs> over a couple of weeks in the south um we almost forgot and it's one of the the things i think is a real selling point of the movie is like all the fathers in the movie, they, they you really see what family means to them. And we're put in this kind of moral conundrum of like, what would happen? What would I do if somebody did that to my daughters? Would I right. let justice do its thing and hope everything worked out? Or would I be like Sam Jackson and bring a machine gun into the courtroom or the courthouse? Um, but there's that great scene where Chris Cooper, who played one of the cops, who was the one escorting the two, you know, Mm -hmm. criminals into the court into the court that day he gets his knee shattered 
in the you know a bullet bounces off the floor and hits his knee and shatters it and so they have to amputate you know part of his leg sam jackson goes to visit him in the hospital and it's just they've known each other since they were kids there's all these great little details that come out and you realize the depth of it. it's not just some you know stranger who's harboring a prejudice against the you know, the guy who you know did this thing it's like they're they're like kind of friends or acquaintances and then later when chris cooper is on the stand he's confronted with the question of like you know do you want <laughs> do you want sam jackson to die for what he did and he's like no because if someone did that to my little girl, I would do the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. And he, he yells at the jury. He's like, you got to let this guy go. <laughs> it's it's that kind of stuff that makes me wish the entire movie was up right. at that level. And it's just not really. Well, well, and there's that set up before then because uh, Jake wasn't going to ask any questions of him because like, right. here's a guy who was brought up by the prosecution. He's a prosecutor's yeah. witness. So nine times out of ten, that witness is going to be hostile towards the defense, or the the prosecution figures it's not going to he's not going to make the defense look good, and it's a guy that yeah lost his leg because of what Jax did, and and, and Jake's you know and, and Carl Lee's like ask him if he thinks I should die for this, and <laughs> and Jake's pushing back like no what the fuck are you talking about you took the guy's leg that's the jury of white folk. You, you don't want me to ask if he thinks he should. He's like, ah, he's like, all right. And yeah, that was a great setup too between, you know, showing you that, yeah, you know, Carl Lee kind of knows certain people enough, at least the locals, on how they're going to react. Right. And, and Chris Cooper's character, there wasn't even like a moment of mm-hmm. having to get it out of him. He's came right out, <laughs> came right out and said, like, hell no. <laughs> Yeah, you shouldn't be punished. He's a hero. <laughs> yeah, he took my leg, but shit, I would have got to pop these guys too. What are you talking about? <laughs> Which I know, I know, Spacey and and modern days and, and think, but his character, he tells a lot with his face in this film, and it's fun watching his character's reactions when the witness doesn't go the way he expects it to. He he does a lot with with the pantomime being in that. And I really liked that to where, you know, he, he doesn't say a lot in retaliation or the fact that, Oh fuck, you know, that, that they screwed our witness or whatever, but you could just tell by his posture and his look like, ah, crap. (laughs) Oh yeah. That, that great, that, that scene at the end where McConaughey's giving his final remarks, I was waiting for Spacey to stand up and start objecting or something, but he's just looking around the room and realizing how, you know, how effective this is. And there's a part of me that looks the look on his face is like, well, yeah, he's really got a point. <laughs> there's nothing to object to. Yeah. I give up. <laughs> well, he and he read the room. He, he you know, here's yeah. a guy going going to be for governor, and as as Jake is giving more and more of the horrific details of what happened to this uh, poor young girl, um, yeah, he reads the room real quick, and he's like. Yeah, no. You know what? I'm just, I'm just gonna <laughs> sit in my chair. I'm, I'm not gonna say a thing. Um, and McConaughey does sell it. I mean, he for a young actor, you know, with everybody else who he's in this film with, he sell. This is his moment for his character, and and I think he nails the landing with it the way you want it to, with the way this film 
you know, the way he delivers it with just enough weight, but not like Tom Cruise, I want the truth. You know, you don't get that type of... <laughs> what I think is so masterful about, especially the that last line. Yeah. You know, imagine, and now imagine that girl is white. He, you know, he's choking up and everything. Mm-hmm. And he's really fighting to get the words out. But I love that we can see what's going through his head just by the way he is acting. Because right. you know that his little girl is flashing. Mm-hmm. He's he's painting this picture with her in mind, all this stuff happening to her. And at the end, it's just too much for him to consider. But he knows he has to get this point across. And, yeah, it's it's masterful. It It, it is done well. And everybody, again, so much talent on the screen. The, the gentleman playing the judge in the background, even you see his reaction to it, he's just like, Oh damn, that was a good closing argument. He's like, he, you know, you can see it on his face. He doesn't say it, but he's like, "Oh shit, good, good job, boy." He's like, "Good job." Well, I also love there's. A, I'm. I know we're trying to wrap up here, no, but it's okay. Earlier in the film, when they're like, "Well, we're not going to get a fair trial in this county because it's like seventy five percent right white." Yeah. So we want to do a change of venue, and then McConaughey goes over to the judge's house and he's painting a landscape and yeah. shit. It's like, well, here's the thing, you know, if you want to move to a county that's, you know, 75 percent black, then that's not going to be a fair trial either. So since you can't get a fair trial anywhere in Mississippi, we might as well just keep it here. And yeah. it's like, that's brilliant thinking. <laughs> that's, that actually <laughs> it sucks, but it's, it makes sense. It sucked, but it, it was logical thinking. Yeah. Uh, just a little nod. And, and you'll appreciate this, Ian. Uh, Akiva Goldsman did get the Razzie Award nomination for worst written film grossing over $100 million. Because this film grossed over $100 million in mid-90s, and he got a wow. Razzie nomination for worst written film over $100 million at the box office. Who uh, did he lose to, did it say? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure who he lost to. Uh, let, let, let's see. Let's see. And normally I don't put a lot of weight in the Razzie Awards, but let's look at uh, the Razzie Rewards of 97 to close this out, will you? Whoa. Hey, Keanu Reeves was up for Chain Reaction. (laughs) As was (laughs) Sylvester Stallone for Daylight, Adam Sandler for Pick a Movie. I mean, Bulletproof and Happy Gilmore. (laughs) Tom Arnold was up for Big Bully, Carpool, and The Stupids. Oh, my God, that movie. Uh, and and Pauly Shore was up for for Biodome, <laughs> and and Pauly Shore and Tom Arnold won uh, together, actually. Uh, and then look at the, these big names that were for worst actress. Demi Moore was up for The Juror and Striptease. Julia Roberts for Mary Riley. Uh, Melanie Griffith for Too Much. Pamela Anderson for Barbed Wire. Oh shit, that was ninety seven or ninety six. Barbed Wire. The folks, that's Casablanca with leather. Um, and, and Whoopi Goldberg was up, uh, but let's see, uh, worst director, striptease director won there, Andrew Bergman. Um, but he had, he had good company, uh, John Landis for the stupids, uh, John Frankenheimer for Island of Dr. Moreau, Brian Levant for Jingle All the Way was up for the worst (laughs) picture, Razzie. Uh, worst new star was Pamela Anderson for Barbed Wire. Uh, what else? Oh man, that's right. Uh, Beavis and Butthead to America was in '96. That's Strip- criminal. Yeah, Strip <laughs> Tease was up for worst song. 
it won. Worst picture was strip tease. Uh, let's see. Worst screen couple was strip tease. Uh, well, Barb Wire really dodged a bullet. Uh, did did, did uh, Pam Anderson win the worst couple award? Uh, no, worst couple was striptease Demi Moore and Burt Reynolds. Um, the joke flew but, right by you, didn't it, Mark? No, it didn't because it, oh, didn't, okay. it didn't with the Razzies either because uh, <laughs> Pamela Anderson was up by herself for worst screen couple for her, as it's put, her impressive enhancements. So that I would have given that one to Demi Moore. Yeah, yeah, yeah unfortunately. So, so uh, yeah, Marlon Brando won for worst supporting actor. Uh, but as far as let's see, the screenplay go. Ah, okay. Here's the five that were nominated. You tell me both, and this is how we're going to close it. This will be a great way to close it. <laughs> worst written film grossing over a hundred million dollars. Here are the nominees for the Razzies. You tell me who you think wins. A Time to Kill, Mission Impossible, the first one, Independence Day, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. I didn't even know there was a version that came out in 96 for that. Or the Disney one. And Twister. Which of these five won for worst film grossing over $100 million? Twister. Well, that is the animated Notre Dame. Yeah. What do you think, Kara? Oh, I was thinking Independence Day. Well, Ian is correct. Twister actually won the Razzie for worst written film grossing over $100 million, beating out Independence Day, A Hunchback to, uh, uh, of Notre Dame animated film, The First Mission Impossible, and yes, our film tonight, A Time to Kill. So there you have it, folks. There's a little, little Razzie info for you in case you're interested now that everybody fell asleep. <laughs> I, I appreciate you all for tuning in and your patience tonight. Hope you uh, enjoyed our discussion. And if you did enjoy A Time to Kill, love to hear your thoughts. Please make leave our comments on the podcast posting. And now, as always, we give our uh, guests uh, the license to shill. Uh, so, Ian, you're first then tonight. What do you got to shill, sir? Well, thank you. I'm Ian Simmons. I run Kicking the Seat, which you can find at kickseat.com. And also on YouTube, if you look up Kicking the Seat, I do movie reviews and interviews and live streams and stuff. And this week, I'll be doing a, as Mark alluded to earlier, a live stream roundtable review of the Marvels. It's going to be an actual bona fide debate because not everyone hates that movie, turns out, oddly enough. And then <laughs> Friday, uh, I'll be releasing an episode on Trolls Band Together, a conversation Ooh. I had with Don Shanahan. We caught an early screening last week and record a conversation and it'll be good to get that out to the world so yeah check it out like and subscribe and all that good stuff and i'm also here on usually on mondays <laughs> yeah tuesday tonight we we did a little different but we'll be back on monday next week at our normal uh same bat time same bat channel and horror retrospective cara please license to shill is yours please shill away uh so you can catch me at horror retrospective on youtube uh, let's see, I've mostly been doing live stream film discussions. I don't have anything coming up this Saturday, but there's tons of other discussions to, to go back and check through. If you're new or not familiar to the channel, there's definitely tons of film reviews or live discussions to, to check out. Awesome, good stuff. I will put links for both these fine folks' work in the body 
of the description for this podcast. And I myself, SpecialMarkProductions.com, for all your movie man needs, should you be interested at all. I do have a wonderful interview I did earlier today that will be up with the director of a film called Pig Killer, starring Jake Busey. Michael Perry, as well as a slew of other actual known names. It is a film that is a slasher film based off of a real-life serial killer in Canada that was convicted in 2006. He killed, uh, he supposedly killed 49 people in real life. Uh, they found DNA evidence of 30 people, and they convicted him for six uh, deaths of women. And this slasher movie, actually, after re- I, I watched the movie first, and then I read up on it, and it's actually, it touches on a lot of the moments that really happened in, in history. But Jake Busey plays the killer, go figure. Um, <laughs> and it, it's, that film comes out the 21st, but our interview will be dropping later this week. It was a fun interview, uh, and, and uh, I enjoyed the film quite a bit. I think uh, it's an interesting one. And yeah, uh, so you'll want to check that out. Keep your ears peeled to that. We got a lot of other content coming up. I got reviews coming. I got a backlog I got to take care of. So yeah, and I might just be on the Marvel show, uh, uh, Ian's Marvel show. We'll have to see uh, because, you know, uh, I don't know if we needed to balance the hate or what, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see what happens there. Uh, but thank you all for tuning in. Thank you for our live stream uh, watchers as well and until next time we'll just say all right all right all right all right all right just keep living just just <laughs> keep living <laughs> <laughs> Hey everyone, looking for more Spoiler Room goodness? Then head on over to patreon.com slash specialmarkproductions where you can get access to even more wonderful podcast content. Hear the conversation that happens before the live broadcast. You can also get access to an exclusive VIP episode that you vote on that's especially for you or get early access to all our videos on YouTube plus more. So check it out there, folks. And the more you do there, the more we can do here. And remember, with the Spoiler Room, the conversation is fresh, uh, but we do spoil the movies.